Hello and welcome to John Cook Ministries podcast. I'm John Cook. Today we are continuing our study on the pastoral epistles. We now join in progress part two of our study. Then when we come to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, he says a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Now notice those requirements are given to a man who desires the office of a bishop. He's got to consider these requirements. He must be blameless. Blameless means he has a good testimony without before he ever gets in the ministry. And then once he's in the ministry, he fulfills his duties, his functions of his office so that nobody can accuse us of misconduct. At least they can not accuse us of misconduct and it be true. We have to make sure that the blame that men try to lay on us is without cause. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14 and 15, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth on you. So if men reproach us for the name of Christ, we should rejoice like the disciples and the apostles in the book of Acts. They went on their way rejoicing that they'd been counted worthy to suffer for the Savior's sake. He says, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth on you. On their part, that is those that are trying to lay the blame, on their part, he's evil spoken of. But on your part, he's glorified. Men are using us to speak evil of the Savior, but God is using us to bring glory to the Savior. Verse 15 says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matter. In other words, listen, when people blame us, accuse us, let's be sure they're not accusing us for something that we're guilty of. If you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a busybody, you're not bringing glory to God. You're suffering what you should suffer, what you deserve to suffer. We're to be blameless in our outward testimony so that others are not stumbled by our behavior in our Christian life. F.B. Meyer, in his book, Through the Bible Day by Day, makes this statement. Notice how often these words grave, sober-minded, Temperate occur in this chapter. The effect of a good sermon will be spoiled if a man yields to foolish levity or intemperate habits. In other words, when we preach, don't let our lives contradict what we're preaching. Don't let our lives preach a life of looseness, a life of sin and wickedness, while we preach with our mouths to live holy lives. But let's live what we preach. Our preaching is for us, not just for the people. It's for us. Accusations are going to come. People are going to accuse us. Let's just be certain that what they're saying is not true, that there's no evidence in our life to back their accusations. Then not only are we to be blameless, but the pastor must be the husband of one wife. Now, this probably deals with polygamy because that was something that went on in that day. That is, having more than one wife. But it also seems to have reference to divorce in our day. That is, divorce for an unscriptural reason. Now, when you consider divorce, you have to consider that God did allow divorce. For example, 
Look in your Bible at Matthew chapter 19, verses 7 through 10. And listen to what he says. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? Jesus' answer was, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. That was not something instituted by God to begin with. And Jesus goes on to say, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her that is put away, doth commit adultery. His disciples said to him, If the case of the man be so with his wife, it's not good to marry. If you can't get rid of her, it's not good to marry. Notice that the Lord said the only cause, biblical cause, there are only two biblical causes for divorce. One is the hardness of men's heart. The other is fornication. Now, fornication, generally when we use that term, we use it in reference to sexual sin outside of marriage. That is, people who are not married, and yet they're sexually involved with each other. God condemns that, calls it fornication. But fornication also carries the meaning of a much greater thing, and that is between married people, a husband or a wife going aside to somebody else sexually. In that case, they are guilty of, we call it adultery, the Bible calls it adultery, but the Bible also refers to it as fornication, immoral living. So those are the only two causes. So what God allows, we have to allow, or we're out of God's will. Now, he says the husband of one wife. Now, we've seen that it deals with polygamy and divorce. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 9, the scripture says, Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man. Now, I take that scripture because I want to point something out in it. Notice that it says the wife of one man, which implies that she's been married to only one man, meaning she had one husband. Now, if we take this one man, the wife of one man, and we take the husband of one wife, and we look at them, we've got to believe that when God says one, he means one. When he said that the widow must only have had one husband, so the pastor must only have one wife. Take it however you want. But the picture is a picture of absolute fidelity to one, just as the Lord is absolutely loyal to his church. So we are to be, as a husband, absolutely loyal to our wife, not to our wives, but our wife. Then he says, vigilant. That's talking about being on your guard, always standing guard, like a good shepherd does. A good shepherd watches over the sheep. He's always watching out for the enemy. So we as God's pastors and the shepherd, under shepherds to God's flock are to always be on our guard for the enemy. The enemy that goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 says, we know that's the devil. He's constantly trying to interrupt the church, constantly trying to stop the church's testimony in this world. 
to disturb the church. He's seeking whom he may devour. Sheep need a shepherd to protect them. So God's flock needs shepherds to protect them in this world. We're always on our guard against the wolves. Paul talks about this in Acts chapter 20 and verse 29. He says, I know that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. We can expect if they had grievous wolves back then, we can expect to have them now. Not only vigilant, but sober. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 deals with this, saying, Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch. There it is, be on guard and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. Now there's an interesting thing. Notice that he's used the word sober before. Now he's using, in relationship to sober, he uses the word drunken. So he's talking about not being drunks, not being given to wine. But let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. That means we're not to be flippant and careless, but controlled. Now, a drunk is anything but controlled. And many times, a drunk is very childish and, and clownish in his behavior, and a lot less than careful. So God is telling us, I want you to be careful. I want you to live careful lives, not flippant lives, controlled lives, not lives out of control. He says in of good behavior. That's living for the Savior. That's behavior that the Lord approves of. We're told in 1 Thessalonians 5.22 that we're to abstain from all appearance of evil. So this business of living right has to do with even what appears to be wrong. We're to steer clear of it. We're to walk worthy, Colossians 1 and verse 10 tells us. That we're to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That certainly is a picture that a pastor should be giving to his people because that's what we preach. Romans chapter 1 and verse 17 tells us, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. We're to live by faith. And 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says we're to walk by faith, not by sight. So we're to walk before the church. We're to give an example of a life of faith, a life of vigilance, a sober life. Then it says we're to be given to hospitality. Oftentimes back in that day, the saints would come under persecution. And in some countries, this is still true. And because of persecution, they were made homeless. Well, the pastors had to set the example of receiving these and caring for them. It's looking out for others. That's what hospitality is. It's looking out for others. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 13, we're told, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. It's looking out for the necessity of God's people. 
Titus chapter 1 and verse 8 says, But a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, a lover of hospitality. That's a description of what we as God's preachers are supposed to be. And then he says apt to teach. That's an ability and a willingness to teach. We're to teach the truth. We're to teach right living. In John chapter 17 and verse 17, Jesus prayed, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The word of God, the King James Bible, is truth. And that's what we're supposed to be teaching. We're not teaching the traditions of men. But we're teaching the word of God. Well, if you're going to teach the word of God, then you've got to study it. The only Bible that tells us to study the scriptures is the King James Bible. And it says in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So study is what we're told to do. We're to study God's word. And we teach God's word after studying it. You can't teach something you don't know. And it won't be the truth just because you say it's the truth. The authority for what we preach and what we teach is the word of God. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. We're to teach the truth. We're to preach the word. So it's the pastor's job to preach and teach the Word of God. Ephesians 4, 11 to 12 tells us that that's what God gave us to the church for. He says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's what we're to preach and teach. And that's our goal, is to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry and to edify the body of Christ. This is John Cook again. Thank you for listening to the John Cook Ministries podcast on the pastoral epistles. Now, before you go, how about take some time and leave us a comment or maybe a prayer request or What question do you have that we might be able to answer for you? Let us know how we can help you. And don't forget to subscribe to the John Cook Ministries podcast, and you will get the next lesson just as soon as it is released. Well, 